it seems like that those who have poked fun are now to some degree like me. Not that I'm such a, you know, that I'm such a great converter of coffee drinkers. I typically let the coffee do the talking. I'll just, okay, well, that's fine. You know, you like what you like. Let me make you one of my cups of coffee. Right. And then we'll just let it speak for itself. And if they have nothing else to say, it's usually like, wow, that's really good. It's different enough to maybe warrant some more investigation. Welcome to Top Brew, the show that is best served fresh. This is episode 66. I am Joe Darnell, your host, and joining me is my friend, Mr. Eric Rauch. How are you? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing fabulous. I am uh, enjoying some recently roasted, freshly brewed Thrasher coffee. Oh, very good. We don't talk about it very often, but it's usually our go-to for the show. It's like mm-hmm. a, a lucky charm for the program. Right. If, if we didn't have our Thrasher, I don't think we would have a podcast. Yeah, it's a, it's the rabbit's foot. I have a couple of things to talk about. I'm very eager to discuss the first one here. We got I had a little trip down to Atlanta, and I visited Counterculture Coffee for a tasting last Friday. Okay. And beside that, I, I had this idea that was sparked by the visit and then hearing about some of my peers that have picked up fussy coffee since then All right. and how they're treating coffee now that I'm into it and they've made discoveries, personal discoveries about coffee thanks to me. And so I wanted to talk about how we've influenced some of the other coffee drinkers out there. All right. So first of all, have you been down to counterculture coffee before? I have not. Okay. But you know what they are? I say yes, but... but Maybe I don't know everything that they do. I, I mean, they're primarily a training center as far as I'm aware. Yeah, I, well, I, I met the team. Uh, great people. Ben was very helpful. He was doing most of the speaking for the tasting. Basically, they are coffee distributors and roasters. So they supply wholesale beans to a lot of the coffee houses around the country. They're very particular about their beans. They're very selective. I, I would say they have incredible, uh, you're just, uh, you know, skilled knowledge about coffee right and they've been working very long and hard to perfect a system where they can offer very high quality beans on a regular basis uh no they, they will make uh sacrifices for the company to just offer people the best of beans as far as i know they, they have people that that actually you know travel the globe sourcing for them primarily their beans come from ethiopia okay so they have a guy in Ethiopia now that inspects the beans and is no, knows what he's looking for and yeah, is responsible for a lot of the purchases. That's nice. Not uh, everybody can afford to do that. One of my favorite things about counterculture is what they call the flavor wheel. And we've had this printout for a good long time. If you're not familiar with the flavor wheel or the varieties of flavors you can gather from coffee, you need to look at this. I think that this is one of the best documents on the internet. Mm-hmm. It is the way it's broken down. It kind of looks like the wheel of fortune, only it's the wheel of flavors for coffee. And it is. it's, it's yeah. got more complexity to it than just a bunch of random numbers on the wheel. It's, it's really nice because it breaks it down into like vegetal flavors, fruits, uh, citrus and berries more specifically. It's got pastries in there, savory stuff and chocolate stuff. And also, it has uh, descriptions for the body of a coffee right. and also the, the not so tasty uh, preferred flavors. Some of the, the defects, well, the defects. Thank yeah. you that you can find in coffee flavors. Yeah. I love that document. And it's one of the reasons why I respect counterculture coffee. SDAA 
Specialty Coffee Association of America had a had a wheel prior to to Counterculture's wheel. It wasn't particularly helpful. I mean, it was it was okay, but I think Counterculture's wheel is exhaustive and and pretty accurate. Well, yeah, but but it but it also spurned a new wheel uh, from SCAA, which which I think now is actually superior to the Counterculture wheel. Um, so there's a little bit of give and take there. You know, SCA learned from what counterculture did, kind of expanded upon it, and took took the best parts about the the counterculture wheel and, and incorporated it into theirs. This year, SCA unveiled its 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 new wheel at Expo, which was in Atlanta just a couple um, no several Back in weeks April. ago. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess several months now. But um, yeah, and and they they so they took everything that was good about the counterculture wheel, incorporated it into their into their new wheel. And now I think the the new SCAA flavor wheel is is actually actually superior. But but interesting, it's a, it's a work in progress. You know, it's yeah. something that that you know it's you just, you just keep learning from each other. So I, I don't think SCAA's wheel would have been nearly as effective as it as it is if counterculture hadn't hadn't done theirs. And and you know there's you know there's a little bit of give and take both directions. So it it's a good thing. We should yeah. link to both of them. Yeah, we'll have both of them in the show notes. I I want to look that one up and see what it's about now because mm-hmm. I have the counterculture one and it's been just so thorough and so helpful that even th- during the tasting when I went down there, it was up on the wall and they didn't really talk about it, but you could tell that the guys knew their stuff yeah. and it really helps to reference that material and it helps me during the tasting. Yeah, it's a map. It it helps you find your way. Yeah, that's a very good way to look at it and then well, does that make the tongue the equivalent of a compass? It kind of tells you which way to go. No, I think it, it the makes map. the tongue the the equivalent of like a a thermometer or um, yeah. or a barometer or just some sort of tool that that because um, you know not everybody tastes exactly the same, but no. um, there's enough enough similarities between people's palates that if there's if there's a blueberry flavor, right? You know, most people will will say, oh yeah, I, yeah, I can see that, but they may not pick it out if you don't point it out. So they may it may just get muted with all these other flavors, but when you pinpoint something uh, very particularly like right. that, like saying blueberry, uh, oh yeah, okay, I can kind of see that now, or or raspberry, or you know rhubarb, or you know whatever. Well, okay, so the way that they did this is they have this very large table, and it's a very large countertop in front of the chalkboard, and there they situated several cups for the tasting process. How many people were here? We're looking at maybe a dozen visitors. Okay. And we and were all given free? spoons. Yes. Okay. It's a tasting event for all the counterculture facilities. They, uh, they, they give you uh, the tasting every Friday at 10 a.m. Okay. So you go in, they give you a clipboard, a paper and pencil so that you can, you kind of chart out what you're getting from the coffees and learn a thing or two and any kind of notes that, you know, that stick to you, you right. know, in the process, any highlights that stick to you. And then you got a spoon and a small spinning cup. Mm-hmm. So you approach the cups on the raised table and you just take a little spoonful and you slurp it up and then you spit it out in the cup and you think about what you're tasting, what you're getting, how it breathes. You smack on it a little bit mm-hmm. and then uh, you move on to the next sample and you try that. Yeah. I'm sure they follow SEA protocol for, for cupping. That's the way they do it. <laughs> Like that. That's what it, it sounds a whole lot louder than that, though. Or well, that's should. what the amateurs sound like yeah. slurping. Yeah. They have these high pitched, whistly yeah. slurps. When I do cuppings like that, I don't spit. I just I just swallow it because it seems to change. To me, it seems to change the flavor when I spit it back out. I, I have a harder time discerning particular flavors when when I don't swallow the coffee. It just, that's true because it, something happens when it's going down the throat. There's still more to breathe back there. Well, yeah, because it's, it's just when it's going in and then coming back out. 
it seems to like reverse the taste. I don't know. It's just, that's just, I'm probably just weird, but I can't get an accurate read with my tasting when I do the spitting. And I do get quite hyper during, because there is an <laughs> awful lot of coffee. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of coffee being tasted. But yeah, everybody just, was doing the spitting yeah. pretty well because they didn't want to get overloaded. Yeah. But the one difficulty I find in a tasting like this is that you have one coffee on top of another on top of your taste buds. It gets fatiguing. Really fast. Yeah. Well, so the first cup tasted pretty good. The second cup, not as good as the first. And then the third cup just seemed gross mm-hmm. until we had paused, waited a few minutes, and then tried it again. And then we realized, oh, no, no, counterculture knows what they're doing. They didn't offer us a bad coffee today. They just have a, a lot of contrast between the first and second one yeah. and the third one. Yeah. The, the first and second one were more similar than the third one of the bunch. So you really wanted to sample these separately. When you do cuppings that way, and this is one of the reasons why I don't do cuppings this way when I, when I, when I roast coffee myself, I don't think I'm giving each coffee a fair shake. If you're roasting 10 different coffees and you, and you want to determine, if you sample roast and you want to determine which one of these is going to be my new medium roast or is going to be my new whatever, you, you kind of have to do it that way or else you have to wait 10 days, you know, you have to, or, or, or five days, you do one in the evening or in the morning, one in the afternoon or something like that. But that, that's the way I do it. I, I typically try and just taste one coffee at a time. I'll sit there and I'll sip on it and, and, and think about it. And then I'm not being impartial there either, but, um, of course not. I seem to be a little bit more impartial doing it that way than, than, than trying to pile 10 into or five even in, into a, into a one hour cupping session where if, after you taste the, the third coffee, they all kind of start to taste the same. Mm. I remember that back in the day when we were doing cuppings together, that I really enjoyed the process because we were using the French press. They were usually extremely fresh beans mm-hmm. and we were drinking it for the most part. When we, when we had the option, we would just drink it like a regular cup of coffee. Right. Now maybe we only had two ounces in our cups for the tasting, but that I think getting the coffee as most people will get it and consume it and tasting that is more important to me as a coffee enthusiast than as a professional. I'm not, I'm not a professional, so I, I don't derive as much of the benefits from the, the tasting cupping process where you slurp and spit. Right. It's interesting to get that experience for a few minutes like the professionals do, but it's just not my style. So if somebody wanted me to give feedback like angel cup coffee, I, I prefer the fact that I'm brewing a whole batch and I drink the whole cup right. and then I give my opinion. Right. And so. and you're also able to taste, you know, how, how the coffee itself changes as the temperature changes. So, I mean, and you can do that while you're cupping, but you're, you're, you're basically tasting it in three separate, in three separate areas, like when it's hot, when it's warm, and then when it starts to cool. Um, whereas if you have a, if you have a mug full of it, you, you, you're tasting it the whole way through that range. You're getting... You're getting, you know, the, well, the right. mid range of, of between hot and warm and, and, you know, and, and every, every gradation in between. So it's, well, you're the host, really tasting what the coffee can do over the course of, of an entire cup rather than just trying to approximate it. Well, the host, Ben at Counterculture, he actually pointed out that for the most part, people look for what is coffee tastes like. And to them, it's a lot about the warmth. Mm-hmm. Just your average Joe who's drinking a cup of Joe doesn't know what to look for except for some very rudimentary positive and negatives like is it too bitter is it sweet enough is it creamy enough with my additives and is it hot enough mm-hmm. and that's the, those are the main things that your average drinker is going to notice yeah 
Ben was saying, though, that for the craft culture, the real pleasure that comes from coffee usually starts after it's cooled down. When it's approaching lukewarm temperatures, mm-hmm. it's really interesting because that's when the flavors are far more noticeable. Right. And I had have to agree with him. It was uh, what we experienced with that cupping as well. So while I was there, I also got to meet a few cool people. We had Sharon from the Magic Coffee Truck, who's mm-hmm. been one of our sponsors. And along with Sharon were some of her acquaintances. I met Carmen and Catherine. Carmen is one of the new listeners. Hi, Carmen. Great to meet you. I hope Catherine is listening to this and enjoys the show. I'd like to hear from her too. And any thoughts that she has on the show are awesome and welcome. That's right. Um, the tasting process. What, this was the nitty gritty that they got into the, as far as methodologies and why they use the chalkboard. So Ben was breaking it down like we want to look at the aroma, the flavor, and the body. And this is really fun. An this actual is, chalkboard? An actual like chalkboard. Like an old school chalkboard? It was. It was black, but wow. with like li- uh, light colored chalks so they would pop out like neon colors. Wow. Yeah. And it, it was really attractive. It's retro. We got into it after the after the tasting. We were talking about how cool their nerdy chalkboard was. Yeah, I mean, it's so much more interesting than a whiteboard. I just appreciated the fact that it was very straightforward and relatable, but they gave us a peek behind the curtain and talked about how the, the supply chain works with Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Th- that was encouraging. It was interesting to see what goes on because I find ugh, all this stuff it takes to get good beans over to us an incredibly intense and detailed process. Yeah. There's so many exchanges of hands and one false move right. and a brilliant coffee right. can be ruined. There's so many potentials for, for, for failure along the, along that supply chain. For instance, this happened in our case because the, I think all three of the beans that we tasted were Ethiopian. Remember that I said that the third one was very different from the first two. Mm-hmm. Well, They explained to us after everybody had shared their thoughts about the flavors and had rated these three tastings that the third one was supposed to be an excellent bean with just a delicious flavor profile and that they believe that something negative happened to it in transport on the sail barge before it got to the States because it doesn't taste at all like what they were sold on. Okay. And so... They have more of it coming to the States that they're going to roast and see if that is more consistent with what they were sold. But uh, in this, in such a case, they get a lot of these beans and if it doesn't turn out well, they can't sell them. They're not going to sell them to their wholesalers. They just got to get rid of a lot of beans. Right. Or or if it's, if it's not, if it's not completely terrible, maybe they could use it in one of their blends or something. But, but yeah, it's, it's. It's, it's it, frustrating. Yeah. And it's on the edge where it's like, you know, this would be satisfying for your average drinker, but it is not what the craft culture is looking for. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, my sympathies for counterculture, I think they're noble in what they do, they do and what they aspire to accomplish. I, I like their beans. Yeah. And that, and that's one of the, one of the positive, um, attributes to the way that, that I do it. I mean, I, I'm not in any sense an importer and I don't want to be an importer, but if I if I get a bag of beans that there's something wrong with, I, I can contact them and I can I can either get a new bag um, sent to me or I can return it or or when you're both, I mean there's not much you can do with it. They, these are these are my beans from start to finish. So I mean yeah I get them at a better price and I have more control over the over the entire situation. But when it's on a boat, <laughs> you don't no. you lose it. It's not you're not in control of it anymore. And if, if that boat heats up or if it, if it takes on a bunch of water and, and humidity, yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, there's, uh, there's, there's just other, 
the temperature that influences it as well. Just being up high in those transporters, if it's up high, it's going to get warmer. And if, if it's down below, it's going to get colder. Yeah. Or if it's somewhere where, the, where it's where it's just moderately ex- exposed to salt spray or Minerals. there's just lots and lots of different, you just never know what's going to happen. And you wouldn't think beans would be so finicky. I mean, they're already dry, right? Well, I mean, you know, it's an organic thing. Yeah. It is affected. This episode is brought to you by Magic Coffee Truck, the delicious source of coffee infusion confections on wheels. When I want specialty toffees, syrups, cold brews, and caffeinated marshmallows, I don't go to Eric. I head over to the Magic Coffee Truck store. Sharon, the magician slash cook in the laboratory, is inventing chocolates and coffee infusions with special ingredients like organic cascara, cane sugar, chai, and cocoa. I want to tell you about their new cold brew coffee, the Awesome Sauce Full Moon Brew. Cold brew coffee is known for its low acidity and smooth taste, and tends to have a deeper, lingering chocolate flavor to it. This one is first brewed at a low temperature for about a day. Then they add filtered water, David Rio Cub Chai Super Concentrate, and some of their from scratch brown sugar syrup. It's one of the more unusual cold brews worth a try, especially for its bold, spicy sweetness. It comes in 16-ounce bottles ready to drink. Sharon and her crew of woodland creatures are brilliant and offer you something remarkable in every drop. She understands the idea that today's coffees, chocolates, and other treats should be the highlight of your day, so you deserve a magical experience. Shop for her handmade goods at magiccoffeetruck.etsy.com and use the discount code MAGICTOME20 to get 20% off your order. My huge thanks to Sharon for supporting Tapru and making the world the best coffee infusions from her coffee laboratory. Okay, so the other thing I wanted to discuss with you, Eric, is pertaining to our circle of friends over the years now that we have been coffee enthusiasts long enough that we have shared cups of coffee with friends at home, at work, and abroad, professionally and off the clock. I've wondered a few things about how we're influencing other people's tastes. Ordinarily, I don't want to be an evangelist telling people the good word of your, all your coffee is bad and you need to try the real stuff. Yeah. But coffee is one of those things that is so, I don't, I don't want to say it's near and dear to my heart because I honestly, why not? It it is a big deal to me, (laughs) but I can imagine a world where coffee doesn't exist and I would still do okay, but I prefer the world with coffee in it. It is a greatly rewarding drink every day for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And knowing just a little bit more about what goes into these cups of coffees for the rest of my life and the fact that I can improve their quality on the whole now and know that the trend is going up for the rest of my life. Yeah. This is something to look forward to for the next 50 years or whatever. Sure. It's really cool because you can't get excited about many other things in life that way. Like you don't know if your next car is going to be as interesting as the car you have now. Right. You don't know if the next house is going to be as interesting as the house you have now or the next job. But you always know that now that I know how to get good coffee, I can do this the rest of my life. And why wouldn't I want to share that appealing characteristic of coffee consumption 
with other people. Handmade. Right. Why wouldn't I want to turn them on to handmade coffee? Yeah. Well, e- even aside from that, is that we're so we're so early on in this what they're calling the third wave of coffee that it has just barely started to get back to the supply to the back of the supply chain. In, in other words, the farms. Yeah. The things they're learning this year helped us get an award-winning cup of coffee this year. Okay, we're going to start applying that to the to the plants we just put in the ground, and we're not going to see that for another three to five years. Oh, wow. It's going to be slow, but it's going to continue to get better. Is that the turnaround for a crop of coffee? Is it really Generally take? about, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. I just figured it was no, an no, no, annual cycle. No, not for a crop. For when you when you plant a tree oh, okay. from a baby plant to one that's actually yeah. going to yield yield something, it's going to be about three to five years. Interesting. Yeah, but, but then I, once I, it starts producing, then then you should get a crop every year. Hmm. So Eric, who are some of the people that question your coffee tastes? Who are some people that have poached some jokes at you, kidded around with you about your fussy coffee? How do you answer them? I know there's been people along the way. Yeah. No particular person comes to mind. It seems like that those who have poked fun are now to some degree like me. Not that I'm such a, you know, that I'm such a great converter of coffee drinkers. I typically let the coffee do the talking. I'll just, okay, well, that's fine. You know, you like what you like. Let me make you one of my cups of coffee. Right. And then we'll just let it speak for itself. And if they have nothing else to say, it's usually like, well, wow, that's really good. It's unlike anything that, that I've ever had before, or it's maybe not unlike anything I've ever had before, but it's, it's different enough to maybe warrant some more investigation. So it, this was something that I was expecting to confront when I was just getting into handmade coffee. I was expecting there to be a barrier, like a line drawn in the sand between the cantankerous handmade coffee drinkers and the everyday people who just drank Maxwell House. Yeah. There's not such a war there. And maybe it's because I'm steep in the technology culture that I'm used to very divisive opinions across the spectrum where these people advocate a very specific kind of computer setup. And if you use anything else, it's dumb. Yeah. Why would you use it any other way? And I think that because coffee is so personal, I figured it would be kind of the same way. Like, no, why would you ever put some sweeteners in coffee? Take it black. And then on the flip side, the people who are like, oh, no, you got to sweeten it. It's disgusting. It's too bitter without the sweetener. And I figured there'd be some contention when I would read online blogs. And there isn't so much. Like, people are aware that they have tastes, their personal decisions, and they really don't know how to flat out refute other people's personal tastes. So most the of the rational ones, there yeah. are, there, there are, are some, some ex- exceptions. Yeah, there yeah. are some, some people who just, who will just flat out reject anything except their process. But some of my faith in humanity is restored every time I'm talking about coffee with people, because first of all, people tend to appreciate coffee, even if they don't drink it. Mm-hmm. And I have a few friends who don't, and I feel sorry for them. Those, those, those people, they always crack me up. Those, those people I say, I love the way it smells, but, I just can't deal with the taste. <sighs> we need to send them some tracks for coffee. I, I don't know. They just, I, it, I mean, you're not going to turn everybody into, into a coffee drinker. You know, some people are just, no, no. they're just happy drinking their Dr. Pepper each morning or you know, whatever. Uh, I feel bad for them. <laughs> so, so the thing is that I'm pleasantly surprised that most people don't respond negatively to the fact that I am hands-on with my coffee. They might awkwardly say something to the effect of, uh, this is not right for me. I get that a lot. Yeah. So, so when they're like, oh, did you get the Keurig coffee this morning? This is good. 
how do I, where do I begin? How do I deal with this person? I wasn't trained for this. When I finally tell them, no, well, I just drink my coffee I got from home. Maybe it comes up again later and I'm just like, I'm sorry, I don't want any thanks. But when the issue does arise and I explain, well, you know, I really like this thing called an AeroPress. Have you ever heard of that? They're like, a what? Is that an app? You know, (laughs) they they don't know. And I I explain it to them. They're like, oh, this is not right for me. That, that is the majority of the disagreement that I come across. And, and that's a good thing because I think that that means we are at a tipping point in this wave where a lot of people just haven't really given it true consideration and a, a test drive, you know, really drank some of the handmade coffee. Yeah. But I think they're ripe for that opportunity because what they're thinking of is, oh, is this going to require more effort and... I savor the fact that Keurig is so convenient. Just showing a person, even if they just look at, at one online, if you show them what an AeroPress looks like, it is kind of intimidating. It doesn't look like any coffee maker that you've ever... <laughs> so so I would, I'd be more prone to show them like a V60 or, or maybe even a Chemex. Yeah, yeah. Something that looks a little bit... But I, I mean, something that looks a little bit more like a, a conventional electric drip machine might be a little bit easier of a sell than, than showing them an, an AeroPress, which is, well, <laughs> what? What is that? What it, do I do with that? I cannot get away from the fact that it looks like a lightsaber hilt for coffee drinkers. It looks like a big syringe. It looks like that too. It, the only thing missing is the, is the hypodermic needle on the end. I mean, it looks like a syringe for elephants. I, I want Think Geek and uh, all the geeks out there who know of this website, I want Think Geek to come out with a, a skin for the AeroPress that makes it look like a lightsaber hilt. Oh, man. Stickers. We need stickers for the AeroPress. No, we don't. Please, (laughs) please don't. So when you've shared your fussy coffee with other people, who ends up trying it and liking it? And what is like that evangelistic moment where they just, it's like you've planted the seed, they kind of see the light, and they realize, oh, have I been missing out on something? You know, who, who are some people like that you influenced? I guess there were several people that, that, that you and I both used to work with that probably were, were happy drinking out of the coffee pot or, or getting something out of the, the community dredge pot. I hadn't thought of it that way, but we actually did make a huge impact in that office where they were just using the regular burner, mm-hmm. you know, electric. The bun machine. The, yeah. The big. And we had a supply of pre-ground Seattle's Best. And then just over about a year there was enough influence from the few of us that were using handmade coffee that they went out and bought a espresso maker, which was, which wasn't the hottest decision ever. It it didn't turn out very positive, but the, the assumption went, well, we need to wed these ideas where we have great handmade coffee and the convenience of a machine in the kitchen and break room. So what is that? Well, it must be an espresso maker. So that was where it was going at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it didn't turn out so hot. No, but I'm a little unclear on the question. On the question, yeah. So who were some people that took an interest in your craft coffee once they gave it a try? Once they actually gave it a shot? Are you looking for names? No, like I'm just like your mom or your cousin Bill. And where did he start from and where did he end up? Oh, yeah. I guess I guess my parents are 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 pretty good examples. A long time in the works. Yeah, they were grinding their own coffee. That was me showing them that yeah, this was probably 20 years ago, probably more than that, you know, that you grind your coffee right before you make it. You, you buy it whole bean and you, you make, and they, and they lived in Pennsylvania. I lived in the Seattle area. So I was sending them 
fresh Seattle's best coffee back when it was actually Seattle's best coffee. <laughs> so I was I was sending four or five pounds at a time across the country for them, and they would they would grind it, you know, before they made it. And my parents now are are I mean they they drink coffee occasionally, but they're they're more tea drinkers than than they are coffee drinkers anymore. So I guess yeah, some of my relatives, some of my friends. I'm not under the assumption that everybody needs to be a a weirdo like me, like my mother in law. I make her a cup of my coffee when she's at our house and she comments every single time. And my brother-in-law is the same way. Mm. They both comment. Wow. This is great coffee. Yeah. And then the next day they'll go home and they'll make their, you know, whatever Folgers or Maxwell house or whatever. And, yeah. and just think, well, wasn't that a nice little experience? Well, here's what I've noticed. Most of the people that I run around with in my social circles are accustomed to making their own coffee beverages or trusting the baristas at Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks to handle it for them. And pretty much everyone else is off the list of making coffee for them. So like my brother, first time I asked him, hey, would you like a cup of coffee? He hesitated. Nobody makes coffee for me. I make coffee for me. And right now I don't want coffee because, well, I don't want to make coffee for me right now. You know what I'm saying? No. That was the impression I, I got from several people. Like, hey, can I make you some coffee? Well, I'm afraid you're going to mess it up. You're going to put something in it I don't like. You're going to use a brand of beans that I don't use and I'm not familiar with. I'm not comfortable with. I had that impression sent to me over the last few years from a few people that I've offered to make coffee for. Really? Yeah, you know, I'm not. I wasn't trying to sell them on. Oh, you're going to want me to make your coffee for you the rest of your life. You know, I was just saying. Hey, you know, here you are in You're my home. At my house. Yeah. yeah I, I, I don't, we had dinner quite. together. Can I make you a cup of coffee? And that you know, to me is a natural, a natural thing after a meal or even, at, or even if somebody's at your house, like, Hey, I'm going to make some coffee. Do you want some? Well, some people are like, sure, whatever you have. But then they have that look in their eye of, oh, I'm going to regret that decision. <laughs> you know? Okay. And then when you finally deliver to them, the response is usually positive. You hey. know, I, I try to do my best. I ask them, do you, you didn't want mess sweeteners? this up too bad. Good job. Yeah. I, I, and I ask him, do you want sweeteners? Do you want cream? Do you want to handle it yourself and put it together? You know, I give them that and I hope that they'll be, they'll be satisfied. I don't, I don't want to gross them out with my coffee. It, it's not gotta be my coffee, my way. I, I want them to have coffee their way. If I, I can serve it to them, I, I will when I'm sure. trying to be hospitable. But what I found is that usually I get a positive response. There's only one person I can think of that after trying my coffee, just said, oh, wow, it's too strong. I need three more tablespoons of cream. Hmm. And ever since, it's been the same thing. What's interesting is that person prefers my coffee now after repeated visits to my home, but still insists on adding the cream for herself. Hmm. So we've narrowed down the gender on this mystery person. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, that's still about 50% of the world's population. Oh, yeah. Okay. Didn't help too much. So I feel like it's been a positive thing. I was wondering if I would regret any of the decisions I've made sharing coffee with others. I'm not trying to be pushy about it. I, I give them some space. If they want to know more, I'll tell them more. If they want more of my coffee, I'll serve it to them. And I've seen a few people come around and get curious and want to know more. And for instance, this is, uh, I'm thinking about my siblings each in their own way has responded very positively to the coffee suppliers I've used and to the coffee maker tools that I've used. So I've made them coffee uh, over the holidays and then they, they're like, that was really good. And I think nothing of it. I'm like, well, they liked my coffee. Mm -hmm. That's that. 
But then I come to find out later, they picked up a French press or they're actually going to the same coffee bean supplier, yeah. the same roasters. And that's great. And I just found out about my, uh, my younger brother. I didn't think him the type to care enough to make his own coffees, but, uh, he started using a French press. Really? He insists on only using the French press. He will not have it in any other way anymore. Yeah. I guess maybe I'm not perceptive enough about, about people in my house, but I just, I think it's just an extension of, you know, you've, you've come over to our house. We've, we've made you food. We've given you a meal and, and here's, would you like something to finish off the meal with? Here's a, here's a cup of coffee. Mm. I don't, I, I guess I don't sit there and, 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 and think about what their, what their, their response is going to be or, or, um, cause, cause usually most people will either say yes or no. Um, I've never had somebody say, well, I'm just not real sure about the way you make coffee. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I've never had anybody at least be that direct, I guess. I don't know. Uh, uh, there will be that day <laughs> when that person comes. I, I want to interview them. I, w- I want to study them for science. <laughs> That's going to wrap it up for episode 66. Thank you so much for joining us this episode. I want to say thanks again to our sponsor, Magic Coffee Truck. I want you to try their cold brew coffee. It is delicious. You can't get away from that just a delicious beverage this time of year. And we just got hit by the hit heat wave here in Georgia. Now yeah, is the did. time to try some cold brew coffee. You can find the show at topbrew.fm. And this episode is at topbrew.fm slash 66. If you want to find me on Twitter, my handle is JCS Darnell. And the show is Top Brew FM on Twitter. Thanks again for joining us for episode 66 of Top Brew.